Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I serve as a pastor in Payson, Utah at a church called Orchard Hills Bible Church. And today in our sweeping overview of the New Testament for the year 2023, we are looking at Matthew 13, where Jesus tells many parables and even gives his reason for giving parables. So that's what we're going to be examining today, and I'd like to start out by just reading Matthew 13, verses 1 to 17. So a bit longer of a passage to read to start out, but then I want to talk about what those verses mean, and then read verses 18 to 23, and then finish off talking about those. All right, so let's jump right in. Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Okay, so we'll just pause right there in this sequence of events where Jesus is telling parables and... uh, telling one that's recorded here at the start of Matthew 13 regarding soils. Some call this the parable of the seeds, but it's actually the parable of the soils because the seed is the same with the different soils. The soil is what is the variable in each one of the scenarios, but the seed remains the same. Well, um, before we get into that particular parable, I want to focus on and think through this question from the disciples. 
where they asked Jesus, it says in our passage, verse 10, they came to him and they asked, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, this could be translated, why do you keep on speaking in parables? Why do you keep carrying on with parables? Meaning that uh, this wasn't the only parable that Jesus has told up to this point. This is uh, the first parable in the book of Matthew, but uh, he's there in the boat, he's teaching the crowds, and apparently he used several parables as he was teaching, but Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw fit to retain and uh, share just one of them from that time at this point in his letter. So they ask a legitimate question, why do you teach them in parables? And Jesus's answer might be just downright shocking to you. If you were to think through, because maybe you've already forgotten how the passage goes, the passage I just read, but if you were to think through what Jesus would say to such a question, I wonder what you would guess. Why do you teach them in parables? Perhaps Jesus would say, well, it's easier for them to understand things if I use illustrations. Using illustrations makes it really easy for people to pick up on the principles I want them to walk away with. Maybe that's what you would think that he would say. Or um, they're really stupid. (laughs) And so if I spoke to them just straightforward with the knowledge I have, their heads would spin. So I got to give them something here. And uh, maybe you think he would answer that way. Uh, Who knows what you might be thinking, but here's what Jesus actually said. In verse 11, it says, Jesus answered them. And, And remember, their question is, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus replies, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. That almost seems like a non-answer or something, doesn't it? Like, are you answering a different question, Jesus? Like, <laughs> the answer almost seems like a parable or a riddle or something in and of itself. But it's actually pretty straightforward. <clears throat> He's saying, I speak to them in parables because as I give my teaching, put it forth in front of large crowds, and that, that crowd has a mix of people who are unbelieving and people who are his disciples. Certainly there's a greater number with the unbelievers than those who are his disciples. But he puts that teaching out there because to those who are his disciples, they are able to understand and grasp the the teaching in the parable. And to use Jesus's terminology here, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But for the one who's an unbeliever, the person who has rejected him, it has not been granted for that person to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And so his teaching goes out, and even though they hear, they don't really hear. Even though they see, they don't really see. Even though they know things, they don't really know. They understand, but they don't really understand. He is actually confounding the wise of his age with the foolish. That's terminology from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where 
God has shamed the wise of the world by taking that which is foolish and giving them great spiritual wisdom. He's confounded the strong of the world by taking the really weak ones and making them the strongest because they are in Christ. And what he's doing here is showing that certain people don't know him by confusing them with parables. But for those who do know him, who have been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, those people are going to get something from his teaching and grow closer to God and deepen in their faith and in their walk with God. So the purpose of him giving parables could be summed up by saying he's teaching the chosen ones and he's confusing the reprobate. That's a theological term that just signifies those who are outside of the elect. You know, God chooses those to be saved. Like, in a way, for a simple illustration, Jesus chose the twelve, right? He walked by, and he would say, hey, come follow me, the name of this series. <laughs> he would say, hey, come follow me. Well, that's his sovereign choice of those individuals. He didn't tell everybody in the same sense as Peter, James, John, and the others, come follow me and be my disciples. He chose 12 men, and one of them was a devil, Judas. But he exercised divine sovereignty in choosing those 12 disciples. And in the broader scope of life, those who come to know Christ as their Savior have been divinely appointed to know so, to, or to know him. To do so. I kind of combined two phrases there. They've, they've been divinely appointed for salvation. That's why Jesus puts his disciples in the passive here when he says in verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That means someone else is doing the granting. The disciples aren't granting themselves the knowledge. They're recipients of the grant to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that's opposed to or contrasted with those who are not chosen by God, those who are not his disciples, because for them it has not been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here is actually saying something that's pretty eyebrow-raising. He speaks in parables because for his chosen they're going to get something out of it and grow in their faith. And for those who have not been chosen, they're just going to be more confused. He's giving insight for his people, but he's actually giving confusion for the world. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament where we get this kind of explanation of what goes on when biblical teaching, godly teaching, is put in front of a mixed crowd. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The Apostle Paul is writing here saying that 
we as Christians, those who have been born again to a living hope, who possess now permanently the Holy Spirit and this new covenant, who have life by the Spirit, whose ministry is led by the Spirit, who bear fruit by the Spirit, who have spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, we are able to ascertain, to understand, to connect with and apply godly spiritual teaching, teaching that is divine from God based on His Word, based on Jesus Christ, because we have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit has come, and now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, and individually we are temples of the Spirit of God, we are able now to be led into all truth through the great teacher, the inspirer, the the one who guided the writers of Scripture, the one who gave the writer's inspiration to write from God, he is now with us. The divine author of Scripture is with us when we believe in the biblical gospel. And so we are able to understand his word. It's pretty amazing stuff. But that's, again, in contrast to the world, because for the world it has not been granted that they know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And Paul talks about that in the next verse, verse 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, notice here, Paul makes plain that the natural man, as opposed to the spiritual man, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. This is an ability issue. It's not just a a choice, a preference issue, a desire, something like that. This is an actual ability. And for the natural man, it's the case of inability. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Well, they're foolishness to him, and he is unable. He cannot understand them. He is unable to understand them because they are spiritually appraised. There's a spiritual element here that requires that a person be born again, be regenerated, renewed, washed by the Holy Spirit of God before he can enter into an understanding, a a true understanding of spiritual matters and apply those things to his life. Now, that's obviously not to say that unbelievers are incapable of reading and understanding words. Obviously, anybody who knows how to read can pick up the Bible, read it, and acknowledge the information that's in there, and even summarize it accurately. However, that person is going to be unable to join that knowledge of information with a heart of faith. And when that happens, there's something different going on in the person. There's something different than just an acknowledgement of facts. There is now a life-changing experience, a transformation that takes place in the life of that person because the Holy Spirit is now at work through the Word of God to engage the mind and the heart of the believer and conform the believer into the image of Jesus Christ. That does not happen for someone who is in the natural state, someone who is in Adam as opposed to being in Christ. And so when Jesus is telling his parables here, we have something similar going on, uh, like what Paul is talking about, 
where Jesus, again, this is verse 11 of Matthew 13, Jesus answers them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And so by telling these parables, Jesus says, while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand, because they cannot understand, we just read in 1 Corinthians 2. And therefore, like the people in Isaiah's day, Jesus gives this extended quote from Isaiah, like the people in Isaiah's day, the people have become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would be able to see and hear and understand and return, repent and be healed. But as it is, they are in a state of unbelief. They are the reprobates. They are unable to apprehend, ascertain, understand, believe, and apply the parables of Jesus or the Word of God as a whole. And in contrast to them, blessed are the eyes of the disciples because their eyes see, and blessed are their ears because their ears hear. Again, not just physical eyes and ears gathering information. We're talking about something spiritual going on. Uh, Paul prayed to the Ephesians that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And I think that's what we're talking about here, is an enlightenment that comes from faith being joined to the Word of God as the believer experiences, engages the Word of God with the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, in him and through him. Okay? All right. So that is uh, the setup then to Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. Remember, we were talking about the guy, uh, the parable, the guy went out tossing seeds. He was tossing seeds everywhere, kind of indiscriminately, same seeds. And yet there were four different types of soil upon which the seeds fell. And so let's read now Jesus's explanation of this parable, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. So there's the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils explained. Well, let's uh, break this down, Jesus's explanation, that we might understand more in depth what Jesus is talking about. You have four different types of soils, one sower and the seeds that were scattered on the soils. In soil number one, Jesus explains, was a group of people who do not understand the word of the kingdom. That's what verse 19 says. 
when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so that's the content, and does not understand it, that's the response, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So there's something being sown in his heart, but it's not actually taking root at all, and there's no understanding. And Jesus says that's the first soil, sown beside the road. Okay, So that's soil number one. And you could say soil number one, basically we're talking about rejectors of God's word. Those who reject it as foolishness, just no understanding, uh, no acknowledgement, no profession of faith, no confession of Jesus. There's nothing really there that's going on. And if we were to go back to where Jesus originally told this parable before the explanation, he says, you know, some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up. And that's all he says. And so there they are just lying on top and the birds are able just to gobble them right up. That's it. And in his explanation, Jesus says that the birds or the bird is the evil one the one who comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart of these people. And so it was tossed onto the soil, but again, not taking any root. And the devil himself is able to just snatch away whatever potential is there. They are passively carried away by the devil. That's another passive moment. Just like man is passively granted by God to know and understand the word of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So also, one is passively taken away. Uh, One is passively involved as the devil comes and snatches the seed that was there, and what has been sown in his heart. Uh, It's not that the person says, oh, here you go, bird, and fed it to the bird, like the bird is passively receiving, but the bird comes by and snatches away. That's just an interesting observation to make through this text. And so Jesus says, this is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. What about soil number two? Verse 20, you have in soil two someone who outwardly, at least, is associating with Jesus. This is the rocky places soil. And what's interesting about this one is that Jesus says the man who is represented by this soil, he hears the word and immediately receives it. And not only does he immediately make this response, but he does so with joy. He immediately receives it with joy. So you know what happens next, but if you can kind of ignore what happens next and just stop right there and put yourself in a real-world scenario where someone is hearing about Jesus and hearing about the gospel— and immediately receives it with joy, it's like, this is great. That's what we always want, isn't it? We want this to happen. However, this isn't, you know, a good thing, ultimately, because Jesus says, verse 21, yet there's no firm root, no firm root in himself. It's only temporary. So the immediate joy and reception of the gospel is only temporary. And the way this is discovered is when there's affliction or persecution that comes because of the word. Immediately, same word, 
As he immediately received it, now he immediately falls away. As quickly as he entered the room, he turned right back around and left. Maybe you guys have seen that uh, that meme online uh, from The Simpsons. It's the grandpa who like walks in to the room and uh, he takes off his hat and his coat and then sees something and oh, immediately turns right back around, puts on the hat and the coat and walks right back out the door. As quickly as he came in, he left. And that's kind of the same idea here. Immediately, this man, the hypothetical situation, receives the word with joy, but when affliction comes, immediately he falls away. There's just no root. This is someone who's just going by feeling. There's not a genuine faith here. There's no root that will last. So, how do you explain a falling away? Well, you explain it by, this is someone who never had root in God, someone who was never genuinely saved, someone whose salvation was never secure in Christ. This is someone who has fallen away because he didn't have a genuine faith in the biblical gospel. And hard times that come because of association with Jesus have a way of just showing if someone has real faith or not. Persecution purifies God's church. It just, it does. The next soil, soil number three, the one sown among the swords, the the seed was sown among the thorns. And so the soil is thorny. And this symbolizes the man who hears the word But then the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. So maybe you can imagine in your mind's eye a wildflower that's springing up, but it's springing up in a place that has a lot of weeds and nasty uh, plants. Like out here in Utah, we deal with goat heads all the time. So whatever, you know, vines and spreading out, weeds there are that produce all those nasty thorns and thistles. You got that kind of stuff going on. And so this beautiful flower that would emerge, it's choked out. The life is choked out by the weed, which is the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And those two things definitely go hand in hand, don't they? There are many people today in America who claim to be Christians, claim to have some sort of testimony of Christ or some sort of substance of faith, yet these people are worldly and are just constantly worried about carnal things. You look at their calendar, you look at their bank statement, and it'll show they're really, really caught up in the world, in the worries of the world. And wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth that is so focused on gaining more and more earthly possession to the detriment of a flourishing life in Christ. Because you can obviously be super good with money and even full-time be an investor and do really well with wealth management and be a Christian. But there are certain people, and I would say the majority of people, (laughs) who are caught up in financial matters who suffer spiritually because of the the priority they place on wealth. And the and it's a deceiver. Money is a deceiver. You see that? It's the deceitfulness of wealth. So these people have been lied to and they've bought it. 
that wealth is going to be liberating if they just focus a little more, give a little more, sacrifice a little more. And what they're sacrificing ultimately is their relationship with God in Christ. The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have choked out the potential of fruit-bearing faith. Therefore, these people aren't genuine believers, are they? Well, the fourth and final soil here is the good soil. That's how Jesus describes it, good soil. And that symbolizes the person who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and brings forth now either 100, 60, or 30-fold. And, you know, those are those are three options Jesus threw out there to summarize their varying levels of fruit that is born by someone in this situation. Someone who hears the word, someone who understands the word, and then has true belief. There are varying degrees of fruit that that person will produce, spiritual fruit in life. That's God's business. That's based on, you know, what God's doing with that person. But uh, this person is only bearing fruit because he has true, genuine faith. What, what makes this soil good? Well, there's actual faith where root can come down and stabilize the plant, grab those nutrients that give life to the plant, that the plant will grow up and bear fruit. And that only happens in an environment of genuine faith where a person becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that person has a genuine conversion, is born again, and is perfected by God throughout his life, sanctified day by day by the power of God. So not someone who runs because of persecution, not somebody who sacrifices his relationship with God for worldly matters, even though those things might happen for a season, this is somebody who over the course of his life is living evidence of God's faithfulness because he keeps his testimony of Jesus and lives for Jesus. And, and you can see the lordship of Jesus in that person's life. Now, not that we have any metric of doing that, but I think you can kind of get the general idea of what that means. Not just someone who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then goes out and gambles all his money away without regard to any kind of stewardship, or goes out and cheats on his wife without regard to stewardship of his marriage, or goes out and uh, you know lives a, a very carnal existence without ever caring for God's people, not thinking about the stewardship of, of faith in any of those matters, just thinking about himself, living for himself, and ignoring what God and his people have to say. That person is not a genuine believer. And yet that's what we see in those previous soils, right? Those people who've heard the gospel and then they go on in their lives don't reflect any kind of change or any kind of faith or any kind of anything. These people just look like the world. And yet this final soil is set apart because it bears fruit. And this fruit is in keeping with the gospel itself, because what, what kind of fruit does a plant bear? Well, it bears fruit in accordance with the type of plant that it is, based on the seed that was sown. So the person who is symbolized by good soil in this parable is a true believer who now, from this point forward, is held to by God, which is evidenced by works in that person's life. And when I say works, I'm not necessarily talking about the ones you might think of, uh, especially if you're coming from a non-Christian point of view where you have a church that tells you what works you're supposed to do or not do. 
Um, I'm talking about love, the love of Christ as seen in his sacrificial death, um, the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, the loving service of one another, sacrificial love. That's what I'm talking about. God brings about that kind of fruit in that person's life because there's genuine belief. And it's all attributed to God's grace because that person has been granted by God to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And the world has not been granted that. So what an amazing thing. We just looked at 20, how many verses was that? 23? And there's so much there. There's so much to see because God's word is so deep. And this life that you're living is very complex. But the most important thing you can know is that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is salvation and no other name under heaven but the name of Jesus Christ. And if you genuinely believe, if you're not one of those first three soils, but you're the good soil and you genuinely believe, you will be saved. Not only today, but you'll be saved tomorrow and for all eternity because this is a work of God in your life if you submit yourself to the God of the Bible and his gospel. Well, thanks for listening today. Always so much to say, and there's always so much I leave out. But if you have any thoughts or questions, please send them along. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.